it's the same with telling a story. It's like, I don't want you to mimic. Like, obviously take things when you see other people. It's like how they embody a character. It's like, oh, I could bring a character in in that sort of way. But yeah. you've got to find your own way. We yeah, all yeah. have conversations in our own style. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Michael. Hello, Michael. Hello. And uh, I've, I've come very early in the morning. This is a, one of the the episodes recorded in, well, not very early in the morning because it should have been recorded earlier, but there was a fire on the tube. So was I, there? I got, okay, yeah, I got, I'm I got, picking I got, up the news from you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, it's, it's trending on Twitter and, and I was nearly nearly there, so I feel like I'm almost almost touched a, a moment of the news. But uh, I, I think the fire's probably, uh, it looks like it's probably going to sort itself out and isn't anything too terrible but, okay, but, we'll, but we'll find out I mean it's very early early moments but like I say it's the morning it's nearly 10 o'clock or something like that and then we're recording in your flat yes um, this is the first time first time I've been to your flat the first like we don't know each other that well but we'll get into that yeah uh, and your your partner girlfriend is uh is in the house so that might that there might be background sounds she might come in get a cup of tea who knows it's an exciting experience for all of us yeah exactly uh we're sort of packing up moving getting ready to leave so it's kind of you've got us in a state of flux right at the moment i kind of so. like that that to get my guests in 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 states of flux like moments when people are sort of like in the middle of sorting different things out and yeah they're quite interesting moments to talk to people mm, exactly the first question that i ask everybody is how do you know me so we know each other through storytelling world and I think the first time I met you would have probably been at a spark evening you would have been hosting and I had set up my own storytelling night which is called natural born storytellers and then I started going along and checking out others and trying to meet the people running them and just seeing what the vibe is in in the scene and I don't even remember specifically the one, yeah, I don't remember the moment. I think I, I think it was in um, Brixton. It might have been Brixton. I think it was Brixton. I definitely. I feel like I I've, I first became aware of you as a person in Brixton yeah. in that in the room where we do spark there. I think you were doing sound. I don't think you yeah, were hosting. Yeah. I don't host there. Okay, yeah, and yeah, yeah, and you were kind of you kept coming along. I think to different spark things. I kept seeing your face and I kept hearing about you. Yeah, because you're also a comedian. Yeah. I was, I was. So kind of as I discovered true storytelling, so my involvement in comedy kind of waned and dissipated. So I haven't done a gig, a comedy gig. I think the last one I did was maybe 2012, 2013, maybe at a push. But yeah, nothing since then. And you also, I mean, we'll, and we'll get into this in more detail, but another way that I know you is that you run the Tell It Festival, which yes. is a kind of festival of storytelling. Yeah. And you kind of reached out to Spark to kind of collaborate with that. And, uh, exactly. and we did. And that was a great a great night for us. But also, I think I, I wish I'd, I'd managed to see more of the Tell It events because every single one of them looked like stellar, like really like powerful in loads of different ways. Like you've got different communities in, you've got different yeah. Branches of the arts coming in and doing it. I was really impressed, actually. I, I guess I was a little bit sceptical when you first sort of started talking about 
kind of like, yeah, it's a big thing. You're going to have to actually do a lot of organising. And in my experience, often people have ideas and then don't put the work in and they don't come to fruition. But you yeah. really did. Yeah, and it I was, was really impressed with that. I had an amazing team. There was there was four of us working really, really hard on it. It was just this sort of idea of... It was also kind of like, what am I focusing on? Is what I'm doing about storytelling or is what I'm doing about truth? Right. And actually, when I looked at it, it was I was more aligned to the truth side, like however people want to express that. And I right. was like, okay. a festival of truth is something that's never been done before. That right. felt like a, a new thing and something I could get behind. If it was a storytelling festival, it felt... I wasn't sure it was... Um, it was wide enough and all-encompassing enough because I, if I deal in true stories, to just have true storytelling, there's only so much you can do. But if you go, right, you can tell your story in any way. You could right. mime it. You could clown it out. You could put it in a play. Right. But as long as it happened to you, right. which is the thing that we both have, is yeah. like it happened to you and you're telling it yeah. on stage. It doesn't matter how you tell it. Right. That's it's still your story. Yeah. Well, I mean, all of those different ways of, of telling a truth or a truth a complicated word as well, yeah. even though it's it's something that I am always talking about and it's also something that's entirely subjective and complicated yeah. like that. But all of those true experiences, you know, to tell them to an audience however you do it is, is arguably still a story. Like, mine exactly. is a, a way of telling stories as much yeah. as... Uh, and, and also, I, I often think about that. Like, when I do true storytelling events, yeah. um, there's a bias towards certain kinds of people who can get up and speak and tell exactly. a story. And so that's a really... It's like, you know, it, it is interesting to me, the idea of, you know, people telling stories in sign language or people telling stories who are have a different way of being on stage. Because there's, there's, there's a real bias towards charisma, in, uh, in yes. personal storytelling and I don't like that I like to hear people who are like a, we had a great storyteller who we've had him a few times who's got a stutter and that's mm -hmm. a, a, a really great thing to see on stage yeah it's know. like when I try get people's stories out certainly when we're just doing storytelling it's about finding that voice that works for you right and it doesn't otherwise you're kind of molding them into this kind of preconceived idea of this is what a storyteller is supposed to right, sound like right right and actually how do you tell your story? If you're telling the whole thing in monotone, you know, but that's your style. Like, right. why would we want to stop you telling your story in your style? Right. Like, it's, it's just be you and be confident that the you you are presenting is interesting to people. Right. And that's the trick, that's is it. knowing that what you're saying is interesting to an audience. Well, that corresponds to what, something I've observed over the years working in, in storytelling is everybody's focused on narrative, but I think character is as important, if not more important. Yeah. And if somebody gets up on stage and shows us who they are, yeah. it doesn't really matter if their story loses uh, loses the narrative flow. Like, no. We relate to them. like, And that's been really helpful for me personally because I'm quite anxious and nervy and yeah. like I used to be uncomfortable with that on stage yeah. now I'm like yeah I'm awkward I, I can't form sentences properly that's okay you know yeah and then and 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 people like that and it, it you know it means I can get further into the stories than I ever would have exactly done before. Yeah. and it's, it's just that vulnerability like you can yeah. show an audience that that crack that that vulnerable side of you as a person and they're with you all the way they'll right. forgive anything you do because or within reason, yeah, um, <laughs> because they've you're you're on side. They see that humanity, mm. um, 
And going back to the, the storytelling thing, it's like it doesn't even need to be verbal. You know, like we said with my... You might tell a story through photos. Right. But it's just that immediacy of... Here's the person who the story happened to. And here is their creation. And it's like, we want to marry those up together. So that was sort of the ethos there. Right. I mean, and it goes back to something quite primal, I think. Like, kind of, like, oral storytelling. Like, that tradition goes back really a long way. It's arguably the first genre we had. Yeah. Um and so it's 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 interesting to do that now I think when everything is so mediated and yeah. what we're talking about is somebody not being mediated it being directly between them on stage and the audience like yeah. however they however they tell their story. And I like the term like raw storytelling. Like <laughs> right. I, because I as soon as it's like over rehearsed I find it it, it can yeah, lose I something. And also I want to hear like dark and deeply personal tales like that's what really draws me in is like I can't believe that person is sharing that or that happened to that person up there like that is incredible like because right. I don't always have those sorts of stories but I'm, hearing that's them quite lucky that yeah means, <laughs> I always think that it's like it's useful to me that I've got some dark stories but I, I don't know if I'd prefer not to have them but, yeah you know. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's part of me that's like, I would, I would like to have this, this kind of like really hard-hitting story, but I, I don't, like, but, you know, I, but, I make you know, do with my life. You've got, you've got what, you know, we've all got what we've got to work with. Yeah. I think that as well, like, there's a danger in thinking that, like, the big stories is the most important thing as well. Like, like people, I've often heard people say things like that, like, you know, I haven't had anything dark or complicated or I uh, haven't had anything interesting happen to me. And actually, it's it's not about what happened. It's about how you tell it, isn't it? It's about the stakes that you create around it. So some of my favourite stories have been about, you know, getting your passport renewed or whatever, but because it mattered, it, they made it matter. And that's the, that's the key, is it, if it matters to you, it matters to the audience, and you can raise the stakes however you like. Yeah, exactly. So, again, if, it's, if, you, if, they, if the audience know that going to get a passport and suddenly it's actually, it's a passport and you need it for something next week. Right. And this is now a really important trip to yeah. make sure you get it and you're really nervous about it because actually... Maybe you're not so comfortable going into sort of big offices with lots of people and dealing with bureaucracy. Exactly, Suddenly, yeah. this, it's this really big thing of yeah. going to get a passport. It's just however you build it up. Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's it. And the stakes can come from in the moment. They can just come from how stressful it is to uh, renew a passport. Or they can come from like when, I, when you were five and you had an experience that then kind of came up when you went to change your passport. Exactly. And that increases the stakes too. Because yeah. suddenly like, there's, more, there's more at risk than just the simple. Like yeah. it's about something inside the, the person telling it. Exactly. I mean, so the second question that I ask everybody is, what do you do now? <laughs> <laughs> that is always an interesting one. Um, <laughs> what do I do now? This summer, I've been working with a, an educational tours company. So I've been doing like a job called tour directing. So essentially, American students come over to the UK, Ireland, um, Europe, and they have kind of someone like me, which kind of guides them through. Right. So essentially sort of like a manager slash tour guide. So I've been doing that this summer and it's been really fun work. I've really, really enjoyed it. And so I've been doing, that. so basically tell it last year, this spring and summer, then I'm running a venue at Shambhala Festival 
um, at the end of August. And then my girlfriend and I are leaving the country for six months and going traveling. So what am I doing now is kind of getting ready to do that. Right. But I've kind of been, I sort of seem to flip between jobs that bring in money and fun stuff that I organize. So like Tell It Festival is like this big, big thing. And to be fair, it completely wiped me out for like two months or three months afterwards. Uh I was just like, I can't do anything. And then the season came around and everything. So it's kind of like, it's quite nice to sort of be planning to go away, get a bit of perspective, get a bit of time to get my creativity going again and then see what I want to plow into when I get home. So I'm kind of at the moment sort of withdrawing a little bit from things yeah no, it makes sense yeah I mean and most most people who work in the, the arts have to have that split between the things that make us money and the things that we love that don't exactly yeah yeah no exactly I mean like <laughs> what we care about that doesn't ever make us money but yeah. you know um, but I'm lucky I found something that, made me, that makes me money that I do really enjoy yeah, as yeah. well yeah, yeah. Um, so it's been a summer of kind of coaches around Europe and trains and Sort yeah, of, yeah, that's a good been, job. I yeah, mean, I, I can see the appeal. Yeah, it's been really nice. Yeah, and so, like, what? How did you come to be somebody who's interested in uh, sharing and telling stories? <laughs> I knew this question was coming. Okay, so I guess I got into I got into stand up. So a lot of people, I guess, in in this world, and started with a bit of a stand up background. And yeah, that's I, true. Yeah, and I was doing that for. A few years, so was it 2009, 2012, 13, so about three and a bit years maybe I was doing stand-up. Right. And towards the end, I was sort of, I wasn't really connecting with the scene as a whole. And I was looking for something, so I think the way it was coming out in my stand-up was going like really dark and just kind of being as shocking as possible. And when I... I think I saw like someone sharing a true story on YouTube and that kind of sort of sat in my consciousness for a little while. And then I sort of came up, I was like, I think I want to do a true storytelling night. So I kind of ran that. And when I saw what stories were coming out there and how I felt during the night, I was like, this is what I was looking for. I was looking for that level of authenticity, level, a connection with yeah, connection. the people on stage and kind of like, that happened to you that's amazing whereas with stand-up you're kind of like I did it I'm not sure even true storytelling stand-ups there's a certain element of like can you trust them fully because a stand-up will go for a laugh exactly and it's and it's it's that mentality of like I don't need people to be laughing at me which kind of separates someone who can tell a great story to someone who is amazing at doing a comedy set because the comedy set you need that it it's it's your fuel it's your energy whereas storytelling you can just have bright interested eyes looking at you for 15 minutes and that is a phenomenal response um but it's really hard to kind of tell yourself that people are enjoying themselves when they're not laughing so it's kind of just getting that mindset around from from stand-up to storytelling yeah, so what was the question again? Well, I mean, uh, that, that corresponds to what you, what, you know, what you just said corresponds to a certain extent with my experience of like when I've booked comedians to do stand-up tragedy, yeah. audiences at that show, they don't laugh in the same way because yeah. they're just, it's following, you know, you, the comedian comes on and they're following a really serious true story yeah. so the audience don't laugh. And like I've spent a lot of time like kind of 
sort of semi-counselling comedians going, you know, they did like you, it's just they don't laugh in that way in this yeah. room. It's I'm, I don't want them to. I'm creating a different yeah. kind of space. Um, I mean, like, I often, with, with an email I send out beforehand, I always say, if you're a comedian, please don't tell the audience you're a comedian. Right, we, unless we it is that. massively important to the story. Because comedians do seem to like to tell people that they're a comedian and then suddenly that changes, changes everything yeah. everything exactly so I mean it's okay if, if the comedian's got a story about being a comedian no, that's then fine. they have to bring that up 100%. but I absolutely agree like it, that's unnecessary information for a start let alone all of the complexities of exactly of if someone people. got up on stage and says I'm a police officer yeah and then they don't mention being a police officer in story, again in the story. Yeah. It's like, well, why did you need to tell us you're a police officer? It'd be a super bad idea. People have re- would have you know even worse opinions of you uh, as a police officer than as a comedian. Exactly. So it's just those little <laughs> things. It's like I'm a lawyer, and then it's like, yeah. you know. So it, it's it's those things of how do you present yourself to the crowd, and what do you want them to think? And yeah. with storytelling, you, I find the laughs come from a deeper place. Yeah. And they come more from empathy with the storyteller. So you're kind of like, you're you're not, as a comedian or with comedy, you're laughing at a joke. Yeah. With stories, you're laughing at a funny situation because you're with the person or an awkward situation or an embarrassing situation. And it was, when I first started in comedy, I got some really good advice and someone said to me, you've got to know the difference or there is a big difference between saying something funny and making someone laugh. Right. Right? Because making someone laugh, there's an element of shock. There's an element of surprise where you drop that joke. And storytelling, you don't need that because it's almost a little bit scientific. How do you get someone to laugh? It's like put the funny word at the end and kind of just, you kind of... It's timing. If you do do it in a certain structure, people will laugh even if it's not, even if they don't find it funny. Exactly. It's got Um, that rhythm to it. Yeah, yeah. So storytelling, you're going back to, you can say something funny or or whatever. You don't have to think of a joke to get it. And it's very relaxing. It's kind of just say it as it comes into your mind. It's interesting what you say about empathy as well. I think that's true. And I think when people, if people tell stories that are laughing at someone in a true storytelling context, people will go, won't go with it in the same way that they would if it was a comedian. When a comedian does a kind of roast comedy, yeah. audiences will laugh. But in a true storytelling environment, that's when, when people think that they, they can just laugh at other people, yeah. uh, that's when they kind of lose the audience completely. If they laugh at themselves or criticise themselves or tell, them, tell a story about when they said a terrible thing and uh, they're not proud of that thing yeah. that they said, then the audience will totally go with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, like, we like people sort of... We like... Not, I don't want to say the underdog, but we like, we like it when the person telling whatever it is is, is the fallible one, is right. the fool. So whether you're the comedian being the fool in the story or me telling a story to you, if the, all the weird stuff happened to me and I was the idiot in half the situation, yeah, yeah. you're with me, you're on my side. If I'm here talking about the idiots that I met sort of on my trip to a shop, yeah, but you shops. have to know that you have to know you're the idiot. That's the, that's where the problem yes. comes when people tell stories where they they haven't yet 
seen themselves from the outside and they yeah. tell it to the audience like like they imagine it like they remember it but the audience are like whoa you're actually a terrible person yeah. <laughs> whereas if you if you stand up and say guess what I'm a terrible person I did this terrible thing the audience will not think you're a terrible person at the end 100% it's interesting 100% and, and I've had that with actually I've seen it as because the other nights that we do are um seen you at Smut Slam right a couple of times right. and I've seen that with that a couple happens, of yeah, things yeah. there and it was just like it just needs that knowledge that actually this thing I did wasn't that great right and you would have been fine yeah. telling that story yeah. whereas if you think no I was perfectly fine and everyone's like no you weren't yes exactly but that only happened once I think. Yeah. yeah I mean I think that in, well Smut Slam has a lot of uh, rules at the beginning to hopefully sort of to try and mitigate some of that sort of stuff and particularly because it's because it's an open mic and because it's about sex, it, it needs it needs that in a way that I kind of actively don't put into yeah. Spark uh, open mics. I really don't want to inhibit. Uh, I mean, which means that there's no, there can be no content note for a, a Spark open mic. So people should just, uh, if you know, should be prepared to uh, experience whatever happens and react however they are going to do to that. But generally speaking, we don't need one because we create a kind of. an environment of 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 openness and safety where people can talk about things in quite kind of nuanced uh ways but it 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 has happened occasionally at spark similarly to kind of how it can go at smart slam of someone just not having the self-awareness around that thing and and you feel for them because they're gonna because the audience are gonna think less of them and if you could have kind of got them into a workshop and teased out that story and said hey 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 this it's this, sometimes you know, it's just reflect one, on that part then it would have been a great story. exactly sometimes it's just one line that yeah. it's just like actually if you could have just shifted the focus a little bit there yeah. or onto yourself or away from yourself yeah. or that particular thought you had if it you just didn't mention it yeah exactly <laughs> and then you would be fine it's just you can almost see that energy in the room change yep. with with a line and you're like oh god yeah 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 um, but smart slam is more open to that because it is it's sexual stories and you yeah. kind of and you and also you want to make sure beforehand that people are looking at sex in a positive way yeah. and it's coming out in a positive yeah. way and you because you don't want to you don't want those stories you don't want to yeah I mean I think that there is you know there are there could be a great night of stories uh, that talk about non-consensual sexual activities uh, that, are, that, that, that would be a good night but it would have to be curated, worked on, like so, solidly, solidly considered, I think. So one of the nights we had at Telet Festival was a group called the Survivors Collective. Right, I saw about this. I thought that sounded good. Now, they, 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 they are amazing because right. I saw <laughs> they ran little workshops in the Canvas Cafe. And it was basically a group of girls who are survivors of... Um, childhood sexual abuse getting right. together to speak and I was like this would be amazing for I think no I firstly think, this, this is this I know is an it sounds thing. a bit dodgy like to, for someone to say this this would be amazing but I think it, it is because they're know, coming at it from a positive way and yeah. I just thought you know I, I, I messaged them I was like I'm not asking you to put anything on but if you want to hold one of your meetings during the festival I think it would be a great thing to direct people to and they came back and they were like no we want to perform this is why we're here and they spent however long workshopping and they got two or three people from their collective who were willing to speak and they put on a play with poetry and a story um, curated with a bit of music in there as well 
and they put on a show about that. Right. And it was amazing. Yeah. Like the not just that, but the forty-five minutes of Q and A afterwards were. I've never seen such an incredible atmosphere in a room. And I was like, this is why we're doing the festival. Like right. that for me was like the highlight because they create something just for the festival. It was coming from certainly non-consensual yeah, um, sex back then from, from their, from their past. And it came, it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful evening, like heavy and hard and moving, but they were so happy that they'd done it. I bet. I mean, yeah. that's it. I mean, I do a show uh, that talks about kind of uh, non-consensual experiences and, mm. and and kind of bullying and all sorts of things. So I'm kind of like in the wheelhouse of like telling stories about the hard stuff. But it's definitely how you frame it, how you consider yeah. these things. You know, so, something you could do something about that kind of topic, and it would be terrible if you didn't think it through completely. Uh, and that's that's the thing. Like, so in open mic circumstances, like a, that's why you kind of try to avoid that sort of that sort of area if you can. But I think in curated stuff, it's really important yeah. to look at the darkness and uh, complexity in life. Hundred percent. And you've also got to trust the people getting up. Like, right. if if it's just a room full of of audience you don't know who they are you and don't we, you know. know and and at spark i mean at spark we've had stories like that mm. we've had sort of stories about you know we've had a, a falklands uh a military guy from the falklands who experienced this absolutely horrific you know violent uh experience of being in a burning ship and skin coming off and all sorts of visceral stuff and and we've had people talk about rape or whatever and, and yeah. I think it's really important to have a space where somebody can get up and talk about these things to the public yeah like obviously there's complexities around you, need, you when you have a story like that you've got to to be when it comes up in an open mic as a host yeah I have to acknowledge that and give people in the audience kind of aftercare yes. but also the, the speaker needs some aftercare like yeah. as a responsible person hosting that night you have to check in with the person who's told that story make sure they're comfortable with what they've just chosen to do mm. um, but I wouldn't want to say you can't choose to do that in this room like I want people to be able to tell a story about whatever I don't like censoring things and it's, and it's the only time you can is if they're taking the wrong angle essentially on one of those stories but it's hard. One of my favourite stories, I think it was about someone's dad who they were looking after them in hospital in Greece. And I got back on stage and I was just, I was just kind of lost for words. I was mm. just, I was kind of like, I don't have anything to say. Yeah. But it mirrored <laughs> the audience because yeah. I know they were all that's kind right. of in bits. In those moments, that's your job. Yeah. You've got to be with, you've got to have the reaction that you're having and just say to the audience, it's okay. It's yeah. okay to be like, fucking hell what, yeah. what just happened and it's also okay, you know whatever it is like it's also okay to you know to laugh or to uh, silly things do you know what I mean it's like you, your job as the host is to make people comfortable in whatever way you can but just also react and show, publicly sh- demonstrate reacting yes I feel like as a you know as a society we're we're, we're quite sort of we don't often know what to do with emotions and I don't personally separate from on stage but when I'm on stage I've got an idea on how to do it (laughs) I'm opening the window just because it's getting it is getting warm that's you know two people who've been working in 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 stories for a while kind of talking about stories but and you you got into two stories because of comedy yes how why did you get into comedy so I had been 
traveling for about two years. Right. I ended up settling in Barcelona. I was living, I just moved to Barcelona and I was kind of looking for, well, I was looking for things to do, really, as soon as I arrived, because you've got to make friends, you've got to figure out a life for yourself when you move to a new city. And one of my mates was like, I go to an English comedy club here, they're doing a course, why don't you go do that? I was like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. So I went along, did a little comedy course and then got involved with the comedy club sort of promoting events, helping out on the nights and helping the guy there called Stephen to... He put on a festival, like an Irish cultural festival. Then we had like a comedy festival and suddenly we're like, well, let's get everyone together and go to Edinburgh. And we were like so new. (laughs) We'd done like five gigs around town and we were just like... And he was like, yeah, no, you'll be fine. Let's go to Edinburgh. So we took like a few of us and went over to Edinburgh to put on the show, and I kind of really enjoyed it. Like, we were crap. We were absolutely terrible. I had, like, maybe two or three good gigs out of 20 or whatever over there. But just at the end, I started to get into it. I was like, right, I can do this. I'm going to come back and see see where it goes. And so I ended up moving back to London and starting to do... to gig and do comedy around town. And... I started finding my style, which was pretty dark, (laughs) did quite like it. But a lot of my best bits that I wrote near the end were, they were still all drawn from, drawn from truth. So they were like, they start off obviously with truth and then they go into like my musings of around the subject. And I always, I kind of realized at the end, it's like really, really dark buildups, light punchlines. So you can be as filthy as you want, like in the build-up, as long as your filthy punchlines don't sort of hit any of those words that kind of trigger people. Yeah, Mention right. them in the build-up, but that's a lazy punchline. And you can muse around the subject if you do it well. And it was like, it was figuring that out and working that through. And I was, I was quite enjoying it, but it was only when I found storytelling, I was like, that feels, I'd rather tell the stories there than... And joke a, about them too right, much and have no, no no need for a punchline exactly uh, I wasn't desperate for laughs right. as a stand up um, I was a bit more comfortable so I didn't mind going on there and like really really fucking up right um, and I quite enjoyed it sometimes right um, I did enjoy it more when I didn't and I got whole rooms sort of going with it like going with the filth like my best one I think I really enjoyed doing the comedy store I had a really dark 10 minutes there and they went for it the whole way right um but you don't always get rooms like that it's mostly like people looking at you like you are the devil well dark's an, an interesting <laughs> genre to be working in in comedy as well yeah it's like if if people want that then that's a great night but when there are so many situations in comedy where you're in a mixed bill with like somebody who does really nice stuff somebody who does really dark stuff somebody who does you know and so I can see how like in, in lots of contexts you know if people aren't there for the darkness they're going to yeah. be kind of like why the fuck is there darkness in my night out exactly right? exactly and I again another great piece of advice someone's helped said to me was audience don't remember what you say once right. I left the comedy right. they only remember how you made them feel right that's yeah that makes a lot of sense and it's like so it's like okay so it's like you've got to have that but you've almost got to leave it with like a good message like where are you coming from with this and it was something that I that's what I never quite managed to 
get when I was in comedy. It's like almost giving a, a, a genuine reason and it's something storytelling has really helped with. Well, one sort of being on stage and not feeling like I need to use any sort of performer voice. Right. You know, like you can hear people when they go into a set and they suddenly, you know, they're talking yeah. like a someone delivering lines. Yeah. So how do, you, how do I get that conversationalist style that I can have with storytelling which yeah. I never quite had there um, but when people came to see a show because it was specifically dark it was amazing um, but I think I took all that stuff down because I realised that some of the kids on some of my tours one of them had re- like typed my name into Google and found it I was like I don't want sort of 15 year olds like who I'm supposed to be guiding like seeing that so interesting like, and, so, and, and so what like what attracts you to the darkness again it was specific times in my life but that's what makes that's what makes me laugh like I like there's Very absurdness mean. and silliness yeah and then like absolute filth like not just like a little bit dark like a couple of things it's just like like Almost like horrifically dark, like yeah, sort of I, I can, brass eye jam. I get what you're saying. Yeah. You know, I could sit and, and watch I like, jam. I like brass eye and jam. I mean, and and, and a, a dark comedy is is you know one Charlie Brooker's I do Black, enjoy yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Black Mirror was something kind of like, oh my god, I can't believe they've done that or said that right. or something that really kind of punches your gut. Yeah. Um, and it was like I, I had a review in Edinburgh, which was really nice, and it was like people have delivered worse material but better. So it's kind of like saying that my material is really good. I just need to get more confident in my delivery. It was right. like, I need to kind of like own that. Because I was like, if I'm going to be filthy and dark, I need to be the most. So I need to be right at the edges of it. There's no point kind of treading right. the line. It's like, you've got to go all the way. Right. Um, but then I didn't really want to have to constantly fill my head with all that all the time kind of, it kind of becomes all consuming whatever kind of character yeah. you then take because then, it, then it's about building a character so you've got to build a character around that as well like it comes from you right. but there is that what are the elements you, of you yeah. that you're ramping right up and for? then you're going to get confused with the character like by other people as well that's the complexity of it as yeah. well like you don't want necessarily like you, if you build a, a repulsive character that's yeah. all very well and good but you have to be prepared for people on the street thinking you are a repulsive person 100% um, <laughs> I, I did. I did. I did quite like like the the dichotomy between yeah. the two of like you say really filthy things, but you're actually a genuinely lovely guy. Um, I think I am anyway. Um, <laughs> it's always a bold move to say that about yourself. Well, no, actually, I, yeah, that is what <laughs> that is what someone said. Um, but it, it was yeah, it was fun. There were fun bits, and if I could get it back and just have to deal with the time on stage. Yeah. That's amazing, but it doesn't that doesn't include the sort of 4 hours, 5 hours driving to each gig. It doesn't include <laughs> literally every minute of every day thinking is this funny? Should I write it down? Could this where could this go in my set? You know, that's literally that was my mind. It was filled with trying to figure out even in a conversation with you and me, it's like, oh, could I use this in a set? Yeah. And it's tiring. It's so tiring. Yeah, but I mean, do, do you not feel a similar thing with true storytelling? Like, you, do you have a little part of your brain when things are happening going, 
ooh, is this a story? Is this a story? Could this, could I, could, could this become part of a story? 100%, but it's like, I'll be like, let's see how it plays out. Yeah, and you can yeah, kind yeah, of then right, look right, back right. on it as a whole, exactly, yeah, rather yeah. than trying to remember specific lines. Because with comedy, it's like, that line is funny, or that word, or right, I could have used this yeah, there. And it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Reg- and it's, it's very much like figuring out the finer points, whereas he's storytellers looking at the picture and then delving back into that kind of world yeah I mean when I have those moments it's, it's, it's often like it, could this be a story we'll see yeah like you said exactly. wait and see like yeah 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 and, and often I, time you need time right. to figure out the story and then you need to kind of I always say like you need to shit out a story once or twice <laughs> you just kind of blurt it out and get it out there and you're like that didn't sit well I need to shift the focus but it also needs a bit of a gap if you're telling it too close to the event yes I find I get wrapped up in the details of what yes, happened. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Rather than kind of figuring out where the actual what story, the story is. is. And it yeah. often isn't what happened. It's my involvement with something yeah. else. Yeah, 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 for sure. So I like having that distance from a story before I have before I go in. Because someone's like, oh my God, that happened to you last week. You should tell it. Natural Born Storytellers. It's like, it's a little bit soon, maybe in a month or two. Yeah. Um, I need to kind of figure it out. Although sometimes, although yeah, and I, I agree with all of that, but then at the same time also, there can be really great stories where it hasn't finished yet. So like, I, I really like that as an ending, like when people are like, and all of this has happened and I literally don't know what's going to happen. It's like to be continued. It's like, yeah. you know, it's kind of ambiguous. It's like a, an ambiguous film where you, you don't know if they're going to live or die at the end. Yeah. It's that kind of a thing. You're like, yeah. But, but that's the thing too. it's like you're building up and the cl- you know the climax is going to be in a couple of weeks yeah, which right. is cool but you, you're essentially building the audience up yeah. ready for that but you've got to leave them on a cliffhanger yeah, and it's yeah, got yeah. to be a real cliffhanger and they're like come back next month right, right, right. <laughs> it's a bit of a serial but I agree with you I mean as a general rule I, I mean you should try out stories whenever they whenever you want but like definitely like perspective some time and also ch- stories change over time like I've yeah. got stories that I've been telling for you know years that now have different endings or now have different middles or whatever because yes. other things have happened or I've seen new connections 100% I mean that's and I, you know because I try to tell a story every month uh, at Spark on a different theme like uh, often I find like well that's the theme so let's take that story I've told before but make it fit that theme and then it becomes a completely different story just with some of the same yes, plot points exactly it sounds like as well when you were getting into comedy you were also kind of getting a feel for making festivals like yes. that's something that you've kind of carried on now with Tele um, and Shambhala you go to right yeah so I've been running Natural Born Storytellers at Shambhala for like four years in a in a year and now I've kind of they are literally the most amazing bunch of people running that festival and I I've been asking can I be like venue manager so I'm now venue managing an area in the main part of the festival spoken word and storytelling and all that kind of stuff. I managed to slip in a couple of my mates as DJs as well between 11 and 1. So it's kind of like, it's a nice kind of like amalgamation of things. So Natural Born Storytellers will be there. I'm just running sort of like an hour and a half and an hour and a half. So a couple of shows throughout the weekend. But otherwise it's venue managing this this big thing. So that's where my focus is sort of for the end of the month. Yeah. And I remember going to festivals like four or five years ago going, I want to, run a venue 
So I'm getting there and it feels really amazing. Having attended festivals and kind of sort of, I look back sort of 10 years ago when I started going to the good ones as just purely a punter and someone coming to experience the festival and gradually as I've got older, I've wanted to put more back in. It's very hard sometimes to go to a festival and just be like, oh, I'm here to experience the festival. It's like, I I need a role. What can I run? I need to do, I feel like I want to be doing something and then earn the time off that I can go and party. Yeah. So, yeah, so has been an amazing thing to look forward to at the end of each summer. And I kind of take a lot of people who've come to Natural Born Storytellers Nights and told stories there and take them to Shambhala it's like almost a bit of a treat for us at the end right and you also so you've been travelling as well that's a thing you've done yeah and it's something you're going to do some more of. yes we're going to do some more um, and I guess Shambhala is kind of a, around that kind of the kind of the groups of people who like to travel who have yeah. kind of uh, certain kinds of sensibilities although I'm sure it'll be quite a wide range a yeah. broad church of, of specific sensibilities yeah well, in terms of like their attendees yeah it's so diverse yeah like, I bet it, is, it is and it's like you see families and grandparents right. and, and and little kids like my niece went when she was sort of seven or eight months and our friends are taking their baby who'll be sort of six months and then we've my parents have come along to Shambhala right. and hung out with all our mates. So it's kind of, it's a really nice mix. Well, your parents come to a few of your things, don't they? I think, I think yeah. I've done like storytelling nights with you that, that your parents have been in the audience for. Parents have been, my parents have told stories yeah. as well. And my, my mum and dad have told stories with, with us at Shambhala. Um, <laughs> I think my mum's first story, because I've been trying to get her to tell stories. She, right. she is amazing. Her first story was about how she was always nervous to get on stage and be herself. Brilliant. So she finally sort of got through that, and now she'll sort of go on at any any time she has a story. Yeah, I mean, I think my dad used to come to all of my stuff. Uh, He's he's, he's, he's 93 now, so he's he's less mobile. Um, But uh, he used to come to all my stuff. Um, Like, you know, he's certainly my biggest fan, uh, whether he's correct in his... uh, uh, assessment of me being great or not yeah. is, is for other people to decide but like I've only got him to tell a story once uh, actually and now I think he's probably past the point where he can tell a story mm. comfortably um, and I've never managed to get my mum on but I would I mean I don't normally invite her to things I do because I don't necessarily want her in the audience for right. some of my shows you know which are primarily about her yeah. um, <laughs> but I, 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 I definitely would love her like she would be a great storyteller like yeah. it's, it's, it's you know I, I do have that bug as well like you know when you, you, you meet your friend like no, you you don't meet your friends but when you're hanging with your friends you're like oh you'd be a great storyteller you've got to come down to the night yeah. it's very hard to get people to do that but when they do it's, it's really great to see it like, is people brilliant getting the bug and- I've had people who I've been sort of begging for ages or who've told me the funniest most ridiculous stories I was like you've got to do it you've got to do it eventually when a theme comes round that fits them whether I put that theme in there on purpose or not, just to get him in right, there. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I did that with my dad. And, yeah, yeah that's, how he, that's how I got him to tell a story in the first place. Yeah. And I made a night called Open Heart, knowing that he's had open heart surgery, so he's got no excuse. Like, yeah. like, I don't know if I can find the story. I'm like, literally, you've got to, like, uh, you had open heart surgery, you can't say that about this theme. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> so and, and I, I, I also, the people who have told... They, they've often said that was the most relaxed I've been on stage. 
you know because a lot of people get really right. really nervous right. and they're like it's they, true they yeah. don't I've heard that a lot of times but it's like because most people when they get on stage often it's it's to do like a presentation for yeah, something yeah. <laughs> and they don't really you don't often always connect with the data or whatever it is you're presenting like it's not your life it's so much easier to talk about your life in front of people if you're yeah. a open person to begin with right but actually even people who who aren't open to begin with they get up there and they just sometimes come out with the most amazing stories well you get a different kind of validation from the audience i think because people are like oh i that happened to me or uh you know i relate to that yeah they can it can be really liberating because of the fact that you get up and you tell this story and suddenly oh i'm not alone yeah (laughs) other people the same kind of experience as me but i love getting friends and family involved yeah because, well, I always like bringing people together. So what, different groups of friends, they always meet each other as soon as I meet new ones. And family, like uh, all my friends know my family. Like right. it's, there's, I don't like having any sort of gaps and, and distances. But that's also where interesting stories can come from the fact that, like when I say truth is a, a subjective thing, yeah. like you can have great moments like where, like a, there was a brother and sister at a Spark event who told, you know, their childhoods from slightly different perspectives who, you know, had slight disagreements or what yeah. the truth was, but it was great to see that. Yeah. You know, and I think that can happen when you get family or friends exactly. uh, together. You can get kind of interlinking stories that yes. can be really enjoyable. Yeah, and that's actually a night that would be really fun to curate is essentially the same story from different angles or from different sort of locations of it happening so you can kind of flip between one and the other it's like well this is what I was hearing in London and this is what I was hearing in in South Africa and then suddenly the stories kind of converge at a certain point and do you know what I mean or it could be across the same city or or the same night happening that would be great but then you want them to converge and kind of meet together and be like oh my god like I can see how you're each reacting and seeing the scenario yeah from your based on your experiences of that right the true like the true storytelling version of magnolia or shortcuts or whatever. yeah exactly um, so and say so it's you you mentioned south africa then and you didn't uh, do so completely with no relationship to that place no like you're south african right yes but yeah. you don't have a south african accent so i was born in cape town and we moved to the uk in 1988 so i was about six and a half when we moved over Uh, My brother was three. Right. Um, I think my accent disappeared in six months. Just (laughs) gone. Yeah, I believe it. And, but I've always had, always had family there. So my gran, my dad had two brothers um, who each had two sons. So there was four really close cousins, uncles and aunties, and then their friends. So we used to go back to Cape Town sort of every year to 18 months. Every year, I think, when we were kids. And then it sort of went to 18 months. And now it's still about every, about every 18 months I'm back there. Although last year I was back there, I think, three times. <laughs> or twice or something, I don't know. But I do have close links. I've still got yeah. a South African passport. When I went travelling for two years, I did a year in Africa. Because I kind of wanted to see what Cape Town is like in the context of... The rest of the continent. Or at least the, the southern... Yeah, uh, with right, the equator right, right, down right, right. I, can't, I can't do all of that just, well actually I could uh, <laughs> yeah but it is <laughs> but a constant so you know it takes a long time to get around it takes a while <laughs> um, so so no so Cape Town is or South Africa is is dear to me it's the most 
one of the most beautiful countries I've ever seen. The people there are wonderful. And so I do go back quite a lot. So yeah, it doesn't come out. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's also a country with with a dark and complicated history. I yeah. mean, maybe maybe that's part of the reason that you're drawn towards dark and complicated. <laughs> I, I, I don't never, I'd never put, I've never, I've never, yeah, I'd never put that together with with my sense of humour. <laughs> um, but it is, and I do remember leaving. So I remember we. I remember obviously I would have been six when we were sort of planning to go. I think my parents started taking Italian lessons. We were originally moving to Italy, and then like three months before, we switched to London. And I remember watching Nelson Mandela get released from prison. I can't remember the year, but I remember being a kid and watching that on TV, and both my parents crying and being like, "This is an amazing moment for South Africa." And I still didn't quite understand exactly what it was right um i knew it was like i knew this was the end of something but i didn't really understand the darkness before i think we were right. pretty sheltered i mean when we lived in cape town like how, how much do you really know when you're six yeah um, i mean you know in some ways that's appropriate uh, to, yeah. to to shelter children from that but then at the same time i want you know it, it's also probably uh easier to shelter a young uh white kid in Cape, Cape Town than it yeah. would have been if, if you were in, in you know poor and black in Cape Town would be a very different you wouldn't you can't shelter that no exactly <laughs> and it's so you you don't know so a lot of people there they grow up they call it um like white guilt or whatever right. because of everything that was happening and a lot of people were powerless to do anything about it a lot of people did and they protested and they got arrested and they did what they needed to do um but there were a lot of people that that didn't right but then a lot of people don't feel guilt either so <laughs> sure <laughs> but then so. but then that is also a kind of in a way it's hard to even say like people who are who like it's like in, in germany has a similar thing i think of like uh, there are people there obviously who feel too guilty in an inhibited way that doesn't yeah. necessarily help anything there are also people in germany who are like no nazism was actually good because that makes us able to deal with the fact that w- what happened yeah and i guess it's a similar thing yeah uh, with white people in cape town yeah like the the people who are who are going you know full racist are maybe possibly reacting to guilt too it's um, quite who possible. Knows? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't want to get into that. I don't, you know, I'm, not, I don't I'm know. certainly not forgiving or like uh, uh, arguing that, that any racism is 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 not bad. But yeah. there's reasons why these things you know happen, and yeah. it's worth exploring that. But I mean, like the the one thing with South Africa is people obviously growing up, you you hear and it's like, oh my god, apartheid was so bad and all this kind of stuff. But also, you look at it and it's like. It only ended 30 years yeah. after the civil rights movement in the US. Yeah. So you can talk about what goes on there, but it's only 30 years less yeah, no, um, sure. newer than, than what's happened in the United States. Well, Which, yeah. So people are kind of like, you get Americans kind of like, oh my God, is this, is this? It's like, mate, we're 30 years behind you. It's ter- well, it's, ter- it's generally terrifying how yeah. recent, generally most terrible things have been. Yes, like you know, like you know, when you look at like when women get power within society or any form of kind of equity or equality, like it's very recent. Everything's it's, very recent. Yeah, like, and 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 even so, like only in some places uh, is it even happened. Yeah, uh, in all of these things, and and you know, 
there are yeah like it's terrifying how recent uh, everything is in, in terms of history like uh, there's there's you know we we know all that stuff but we we think of it as because we learn it in history yeah. we think of it as a while ago but no, it exactly. wasn't and and actually the the, the long time history uh, like far history uh, we don't really learn properly at all it's we only learn the most recent stuff and we consider that to be kind of like the annals of history you know yes yeah. From the written word, essentially. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. And that's a big part of that, too. Yeah. So, I mean, so, yeah. So And so you've travelled about, like, as a child, it sounds like you, you moved. Uh, and I've, you know, I've, I didn't move from one country to another. Well, I did. I moved from England to Wales, but that's a different, yeah. <laughs> different, different kettle of fish. But, like, I guess you'd already had some experience of changing between cultures. Did that influence you in changing, kind of travelling in, in, in the... Later I life. think so. I can't, I think I always had that thought of where I'm living in London because this is a place my parents decided to move. So there was never a thing of like I've got history here, I've got family here. Right. So even after moving, so from the age of six to eighteen, nineteen, I was desperate to go back to South Africa. Like I look at, I I have like memories, and it's like. My memories of are kind of like bright sunshine, lots of colour, and then England, which is kind of like <laughs> greener and then greyer and colder. And it was like, because a lot of people are like, do you, like, I have a really good memory of kind of from the age of like two and a half yeah. onwards. Like I've, and some, one of my earliest memories, I think I was one and a half and it was sort of, I think I was in an airport and I pulled off my grandmother's um, chemo wig. Um, it's my only memory that'd, that'd of, be memorable yeah it was my only memory of my of my mum's mum and so I treasure it but I'm pretty sure it's just of me pulling off her wig and so I have I, there's this really nice distinction in my memory of like sort of before moving and then coming to London so I've kind of really tried to hold on to the memories I had yeah. from before we moved because it was quite a important part of my life so and I remember moving to England and one of my, I remember standing in the playground, it would have been November or December after we, after we moved. And I remember standing in my jacket with my hands in my pockets and like shivering like this and saying to one of my friends, this is the first time I've ever been cold. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, <laughs> you don't need, like, like yeah, 10 yeah, is yeah. cold over there. So it was like, yeah. I'd never been in like real winter before. So... There was always this thing, it's like, I want to go back there, I want to go where it's warmer, I'm desperate. And then I guess travelling kind of came out of it, because we were always doing 11 or 12 hour flights. Right. There and back. So even now when people talk about, oh, sitting on like a seven hour flight, I was like, seven hours is nothing. Like, 11 and a half hours is my standard flight length. Right. So anything shorter than that is easy. Anything longer than that, then it starts getting a little bit harder. So I always had this kind of desire to, to explore and to travel. And I think even when I finished, once I finished A-levels, it was work for a little while, save up some money and start traveling. So I've done sort of, so far, two big trips. The one was a year, the second one was two years. This one I'm planning on six months. But... Um, but yeah, there's, I've, I've really enjoyed it and I've got more and more independent with it. So my last trip, when I went to India, it was just buy a one-way flight, see what happens. 
this time I've done the same. Exciting. Yeah, it's nice. I guess that's it's also a good way of getting stories, uh, particularly if you haven't had too many traumas. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it is like I often look at a lot of my stories, and some of my best ones are still from that traveling ten years ago, and I've no idea where ten years went since my last one. (laughs) Suddenly, I remember meeting people on the road and be like, "How long?" Or was like, yeah, I travelled when I was in my 20s and then I moved back to England. And then, you know, just things happened and now I'm nearly 50 and I'm travelling again. I was like, how does time go that quickly? And suddenly I look back, it's like, it's a decade. It's over a decade since I did my last travel. And I loved it. And my plan at the end of it was come back, earn some money, go again. Like, and I never quite managed to make travelling work in these last 10 years I've had a lot of fun get, don't get me wrong like it's been amazing <laughs> but I'm ready for another adventure right you're ready to move move away again like, yeah, that, but that's also but it, it's thing. weird but I'm also feeling more settled in London than I ever have right and when I went travelling last time the, the year or so before I went travelling was the most settled I'd felt in the UK and I quite like leaving to go traveling when I'm feeling settled and loving a place because then I'm already looking forward to coming home right. it's not there's no there's no escape I'm not running away from anything right. I absolutely love it here but this is just I, I feel like I want an adventure so I'm going to go on one and then I'm coming back I mean that makes a lot of sense to me yeah yeah it's, it's been a real pleasure uh, sitting down and getting better acquainted with you yeah like, I, it's, it's been uh, yeah, it's been interesting. Like, like we didn't know where the conversation would necessarily go at mm. the beginning, but I was pretty sure it would pretty much uh, be about storytelling. Uh, it's going to come back it's, to that, It's isn't our it? shared interest yeah. and shared kind of context. So the last uh, question that I ask everybody is, do you have anything to plug? Definitely. <laughs> so obviously Shambhala Festival is happening, but that is on the 24th to the 27th of August. But otherwise... Because I'm going away, the thing I'd like to plug is Natural Born Storytellers, because obviously I'm not there to run it, but one of the guys who often comes and tells stories, he's he's a comedian, but he gets storytelling, he's brilliant, he was just like, you cannot stop Natural Born Storytellers while you go away, think of all the stories you're going to miss out on, on or that could have been told. I was like, yeah, you're completely right, he's like, "I'll, I'll host it. So I've got Chris and Jules... And my mum is going to be doing the door while I'm away. So I've got a little team together to run Natural Born Storytellers um, third Wednesday of every month um, at the Camden Head. So go on down to that, support them. It's, they, they know it so well. They will create an atmosphere. It won't be, it won't be my atmosphere. It will be their yeah, atmosphere. It. But it'll still be Natural Born Storytellers because they, they get it and they love it. So... Go down, listen to stories, tell a story, support that. I don't have any other projects on right now that I'm planning for, but I want more great stories. And are you, are you recording the stories at Natural World Storytellers? I do record them. I haven't managed to get them out and do a podcast thing, but we've got now nearly four years worth. Wow. Not a full catalogue, because some have got lost. Some were originally yeah. recorded just on a phone, yeah, yeah, yeah. sitting on stage. <laughs> I've literally only just, and it was kind of inspired a little bit by the way Matt records Spark, is just getting a mic quite low on stage, so I don't want people talking into it, but yeah. it picks up the recordings really well from the sound desk. So yeah. I've just been, that takes away the 
buzzes from from lights and all that kind of right. stuff around it. So I've been recording those, and I think you filmed some of them because there's a there's a, a film of the one of the ones I did. There's like a, a, a YouTube video. Yes. Yeah, so one of the one of the guys he's done a bit of our social media as well, and he works on Telet Festival with me. He's got a. Um, there's a YouTube channel and one of the nights out he did was going to Natural Born Storytellers so he he did a bit of filming and there were some great little clips of what happens there yeah and and uh, so yeah so you haven't so you're going away but your baby is is carrying on that's yeah. I always think that's the that's when you know your your the thing that you've made works if you can kind of not be there and it still carries on happening yes, exactly. uh, without you I've had that occasionally with projects and I've been like yeah but yeah. also but also like also set like sad and happy at the same time because I I it it's great that the format works with somebody else hosting it but yeah. it also it feels like oh no it works with somebody else hosting it yeah. I'm not <laughs> I'm not important I don't matter um, no it's but it's not about you being important no, no, it's, no of course it's, it's not yeah but it's also it's like it's also you when you host it has a feel yeah when someone else hosts it has a different feel, feel. I know and I like that I yeah like, you know and I, I always think that's a, a real strength like with with Spark we have different hosts at different nights and I think yeah. that's good if it was the same every every week then there would be different you know there would be no reason necessarily to go to exactly. both but I think yeah no I think I think you're right and it's definitely, I think it's always a mistake as a host to try to emulate the person that you are replacing as well. It's, it's important to find your own 100%. tone. But you do that. slip, you can, for the, if you're hosting for the first time, yeah. you're going to mimic that, yeah. Like, yeah. because that's what you know. Yeah. And you're like, I know it works, so I'm going to do what they do. But actually, and it's, it's the same with telling a story. It's like, I don't want you to mimic. Like, obviously take things when you see other people, it's like, if how they embody a character. It's like, oh, I could bring a character in in that sort of way. But yeah. you've got to find your own way. We yeah, all yeah. have conversations in our own style. That's how you tell a story. That's how you host. But it, takes you... A while. I mean, but it takes a while to find your own style as well. And then it's okay to have the period of time when, when you're mimicking. Like, and, that's, and that goes for all... No, no, not just true stories but you know comedy spoken word novelists every yeah. any anything you know you you start off imitating and then you find your own your own style it's but and that was the thing with stand-up is i actually think i truly found my own voice when i started telling stories that was right that was my genuine authentic voice coming out yeah yeah um and i didn't quite find it with before yeah, no, I Who knows if the it. things were switched around or if I went back to it, I would have a very different take yeah. on it. But I'd rather do a show of stories. And you're you not, have. I, yeah, yeah, no, it's good. And, well, but I've never done stand up. I mean, I'm not mm. like, I, I sort of uh, kind of orbit stand up. Like well, I, you did, you did stand up tragedy. So you've yeah. obviously got the elements yeah, yeah. in there, but you're approaching it from a different way. Yeah, right. I mean, and, and, and I mean, I think, you know, I, one day I think I could end up doing some stand-up and that's something that I would not have thought, be- you know, before. Yeah. Um, and certainly it used to be, I used to occasionally say to my partner, uh, maybe I should try a stand-up comedy and she would be like, no way, you'd be terrible. And now she's like, actually, no, actually, I'll take it back. You, you, you can actually do it. But, I, but she hadn't been able to see it before I found my mm. voice. And no, so but, that's the thing. But that's the thing is like, and also... Finding your voice in the world of stand-up is 
pretty hard. <laughs> you know, you're, you're given like a few minutes here and there. Yep. You're doing a lot of work. Yep. The pressure is high and people are really, really critical. Yep. Like, especially if you don't do well because they're coming in with an expectation and you need to do this. So kind of going out and finding areas that you can perform, that you can say things on stage, whatever it happens to be, and get comfortable in your own skin in front of people. Yeah. And then you go back in when you've got that voice. You right. can go into any one of those arts. It's just, where does your style fit? Right. And that's the thing as well, like telling a true story, um, I think is quite useful for stand-up comedians or, uh, or art- artists in general, because uh, that's how, like I've learned what kinds of things I say are funny to an audience yeah. and they aren't necessarily the things that I would have assumed the audience would have found funny when I when I first was interested in comedy yeah. like I would have thought that what would have made an audience laugh that I could do was like a, a cutting one liner or like a, a, a clever construction of words yeah. but actually it's about being like in, like really like sarcastic about my own like anxiety or whatever like it's yeah. about like acknowledging like moments like so I guess it is still cutting lines but it's cutting mm. lines about myself yes exactly uh, and people really <laughs> like that um, so it's interesting yeah but, and before we say goodbye I feel like I should should mention like so when when I came to record with you yeah you were b- buying some stuff to do weird stuff to a hat Yes. Right? And like hats and, and just your general look as well. Like you've got a specific kind of look. You yeah. Know? And I, I, I think I said this to you when you came to judge at Smart Slam, you know, like, like I'm not used to being in a room with someone who has kind of as long hair as me. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and so, yeah, like, and your, the aesthetic that you go for as well is quite a, I guess, is is hippie a word that you'd be okay with me calling your aesthetic yeah as long as it's it's not hipster then I'm cool no 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 (laughs) and it's a reference point that people will get which is not necessarily to say that you align yourself with being a hippie and certainly I've been called a hippie lots of times in my life and I guess like as a stand-up comedian I imagine that would have been a bit of a strange fit in some ways like I didn't I kind of dressed all in black when I did stand-up so it was was kind of finding this it was again it was a different persona this is what I was yeah. Drawing, whereas actually as a host of Natural Born Storytellers, like when I stopped wearing like balloon pants on stage, <laughs> people were like, oh, I really like your collection of balloon pants. Right. Like, where, where did they go? And, right. I was like, and actually, I haven't worn them for a while, so I need to do that again. Right. And, you've got, <laughs> and that hat kind of thing is it, that you're, you're going with is kind of, um, it kind of feels quite sort of steampunk, I guess, or like kind of like kind of ringmaster, kind of kind of robotic magician. It's a bit like circus psychedelic, <laughs> right. Willy Wonka, slash. I've kind of like a will, cross between Willy Wonka and Slash, probably is, <laughs> is, uh, is the look I go for at festivals. That's, that's accurate and, uh, and a, a very amusing idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, like that that hat has consumed me because you can see my my girlfriend's made another one, so that that's the one she's made. Right. And they've essentially got. They're like kind a, of top hats with, what is it around them? So that's L-wire, yeah. and then inside the hat, there'll be a microcontroller and a battery, and that sequences the L-wire, so they go in, like, patterns. Oh, wow. My one's, hers is, well, I need to put the brains inside and reconnect everything up, but we were working on the programme yesterday, which was grueling. I mean, I can see, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I can see why it's worth it in the long run, particularly at festivals as well. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, I guess they're kind of, like position for Shambhala and kind of people who are 
having slightly altered states kind of watching your head well exactly well after Shambhala we're off to um, Burning Man Festival right so it's actually mostly for Burning Man right and, <laughs> and then they do they do come out at Shambhala yeah but I'll show you like for example this I don't know if this you can't really see this on the podcast can you well you can't see anything on the podcast that's true no so that is that's a little this is, these are sewable ones right <laughs> so there's kind of felt so it's kind of felt and then with a it's essentially going to be a it's a felt square with a, a kind of autumn leaf well, it's a... Oh, it's, like orange leaf. It's going to be a merkin, so it's going to go uh, over my... Ah, right. ...crotch, and then when you plug it in and give it a bit of power... Wow, you have a kind of... Uh, a, a spark... Not even sparkly, a shiny crotch, a flashing crotch. Exactly. So it's kind of like they kind of fade like really beautifully between colours, and I'm just going to sort of turn this into a into part of an outfit. So I'm working on three outfits at the moment. Um, moving, packing everything up, getting ready for Shambhala, getting ready for Burning Man, and getting ready for six months travelling. But for some reason, the outfits and the lights seem to be taking precedence. <laughs> right, well, I mean, I can see why. It's, a, it's definitely an interesting idea. And like, it's like, it's, that, it, that's plugged into just a USB, right? Yeah. So... I guess you'll have to have something USB-like on your personage. There'll be a little part battery. of the design. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Battery, of course. But yeah, that's well. That's a, it, it, it's exciting to see you making your making your kind of making your persona, right? Yeah. Like, it, it's exactly. funny because in, in, comedians often say, you know, in comedy you make your clown and then you just have to decide whether to kind of be trapped inside that clown or like get yeah. outside it. It seems like you didn't make any kind of clown when you were a comedian. No, it's, I didn't it's, quite make a clown. This is real life. Yeah, this is you. This is who you are. And so, yeah, that's probably more silly stuff getting delivered. And so, and so yeah, well, it's, it's sort of it fits quite well into this little moment. And the, yeah, and so with the with that delivery happening and all sorts of things happening, it's probably about time to wrap up. So, mm. uh, so the last thing that I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Um, how do they, how do people say goodbye? I mean, they have there's a quite a variety of ways people have said goodbye over the six years I've been doing it. Um, but I don't, there's no pressure. You don't have to be individual. You can just, do, you know, mostly people say goodbye, audience, uh, and everybody kind of thinks that's the first time that that's been said. But it's it's said every time. Right. Okay. Well, you guys, I mean, I don't know you yet. <laughs> Maybe we'll get better acquainted another time. But you've been awesome. Um, please keep telling each other stories. Come along to great events. And until next time, goodbye. Bye, everyone. <laughs> And you can hear my solo show, What About the Men, Mansplaining Masculinity. As a podcast, it's available on the Stand Up Tragedy podcast feed. It's the last podcast that went out on that feed. You can also read more about the show over on its website, mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. And I also reflected on that show in BBC Radio 4's Forethought episode liberating men and you can find that 
via Google. As well as making Getting Better Acquainted, I also co-produce and, I guess, star in the magical realist audio drama podcast, The Family Tree. Season one of The Family Tree is available to listen to on the website, thefamilytreepodcast.co.uk. But even more exciting than season one is from August, season two of The Family Tree begins. In order to keep making it and to make season two as good as we want it to be, we need your help. So if you can afford to, then please do consider signing up to our Patreon appeal. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like Getting Better Acquainted on Facebook. And you can find Getting Better Acquainted on iTunes, SoundCloud, those kind of places. But remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.